If you look at the book of Hebrews, uh, I, I really enjoy this book. We're going through it on Wednesday nights, but I felt it was necessary for me to bring to you a message I, I called, We Are a Privileged People. And uh, where I get that from, as far as privileged people, I'm talking to the believers, and I want you to, on a positive note, know that you've been very privileged if you've become, you become a born-again believer, and you know that who Jesus Christ is, and you've received him into your life. You have the evidence of the Spirit. Of course, we're looking at the fruit of the Spirit of God working in you. Uh, I want you to look at verse number 19, because the picture is here, uh, is looking back, of course, at the cross of Christ and giving us the liberty because of the blood of Jesus, what Jesus Christ did uh, on the cross. And, and of course, I believe Paul is the author of Hebrews uh, or someone close to him, but I believe it was Paul. And, uh, and, and I think but verse number 19 says, having therefore, brethren, boldness. Now, that word boldness is really uh, like a free confidence, if you would, a, a liberty. But it also has the Greek word that, that you're privileged or a privileged or you have the right And that goes back to understanding what happens in John when someone receives Jesus Christ, you receive him, to them gave he the power or the liberty, if you would, to become the sons of God. It comes through the receiving of him. If if you receive Jesus Christ, I know you know who he is, but have you opened your heart and received him and said, here, come into my life and save me? Because there's a difference between knowing who God is to knowing who Jesus is and receiving him and laying your life down and saying, I can't do this anymore. I would like for you to do that. Look at the verse again. Having therefore, brethren, boldness or that free confidence or that privilege um, to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. And I think as they were slaughtering the animals in the distance, as Jesus was being crucified, as, as we look at Golgotha, looking at the cross, maybe we could see a little, a little bit different in the distance, the temple. We maybe were able to see when, of course, the darkness and the lightning was happening when Jesus was on the cross. And they, they maybe heard a little bit of a noise toward the, the temple. And they saw the curtain being ripped from the top to bottom. It was actually evidence from above that we now can go and move into the holy if you would, or the Holy of Holies, that we have Christ because of his blood and because of his sacrifice. All the other sacrifices now have ended. Jesus Christ, the final sacrifice, has given us permission and a privilege and that power to be able to go into the presence of the Almighty God because of what Jesus Christ has done. And you can go to him today. And so we see that in this particular verse. I think it's also reminded or showed to us in Romans chapter 5, verse number 1 and 2, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. I think in Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 16, the Bible says, let us therefore boldly uh, uh, come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace and help in the time of need. Now, let me just explain a little bit because the book of Hebrews um, uh, if it was written by the Apostle Paul, would have a, a part of it would be doctrinal. And, and, it, and it, would, it would have an incredible amount of understanding um, of him personal. Um, and then he would be polemical, if you would. 
Um, polemical is a word that means to, to argue a case, if you would. And so if we find in, in the, Paul's letters that he follows this pattern, polemical argues his case, personal reveals his character, and practical uh, gives common sense. And so he does all of that except for he pulls out himself because he's writing to the Jews. You see, we're in a transitional time, the book of Acts. We're going from the Old Testament to the New Testament in a culture that is godless, but a culture that may be thinking that they're okay. They may be a generation here that thought that they were fine, but they were not, just like the generation we have today that are rebellious. It's almost like we're going back into time and looking what a culture would look like without Jesus Christ. That's our culture today. And as long as we have foolish people in the White House, this country is going to go under. And so I would say today that during your prayer time, if you could pray not for yourself, but also pray for the leaders of our country. But Paul gives this polemical, personal, and practical in all of his letters. And here he removes the personal because he wanted them to listen. He wanted the Jews person to hear and to be able to help them transition into the New Testament now where we have the local church in place, where we have the gifts being used in the local church. And in, in, in the book of Hebrews, he skips that personal talk and he, he focuses heavily on the doctrine of Christ and establishes the divine case for the superiority of Jesus Christ because he is preeminent. He is preeminent over all men and over all angels. He is preeminent in his priesthood, uh, that of over Aaron and, of course, his successors, Jesus Christ is preeminent over the Jewish sacrifices to make the atonement for sin. He is also preeminent in his reconciliation of man to God and to, uh, uh, to absolute efficiency in the reconciliation. You cannot be reconciled to God any other way. There is no exception. There is no other name under heaven whereby we can be saved other than Jesus Christ. And so that needs to be heard and, and pounded from the pulpits today because we're living in a pluralistic culture that thinks we can get to heaven in all different ways. And they're bringing it in, in all around us. They are trying to destroy us from being a Christian nation. And, and half the White House would be satisfied if we were a bunch of heathen running around. And there are still some wise people in place in the White House that are saying, Lord, help us to be able to have an institution that is going to honor you. And of course, the church, if the church gives in, then who do we have? Who do we have if they allow uh, homosexual pastors? Who do we have if they allow homosexuality in the church and say it's okay? Who do we have if we allow the abortions to continue and say it's okay to murder? What do we have in a culture like that? We have God's wrath against us. And I saw that in the Baptist church here in town, First Baptist Church, take the Baptist name off your church, please. Amen. Allowing a gay pastor in. Now, let me tell you something. I beat up gays today because they need to be saved. I had a few men come into our church hand in hand. They had their shirts all unbuttoned all the way down. They were snuggling in the back. I think they knew who I was back in the day. And I just happened to change my message that morning. Because I wanted them to get born again. If you go back and look at that day, you'd see that I would have offended them somewhat. And not try to offend them, but tell them the truth with love. That they must come out of their sin. That they are living in sin. And if we think that we can go ahead and just put a band-aid on this, 
We're in trouble as a nation, and we're in trouble in our pulpits. But the Bible talks about him being preeminent to be able to reconcile, and there is no name under other heaven whereby we must be saved. And so the doctrine of the superiority of Jesus is essential in establishing your walk with Christ in the kind of culture that we face today. Let me just give you a few verses. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 and 20 to 23. Read this way. Which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him as his... At his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principalities and powers and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. See, the Pope is not a head of the church. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. The Pope is, is, is saying, I can, be a, uh, uh, I can be Jesus here on earth. No, you cannot be Jesus here on earth. And when you speak, you're speaking as a man. And we need to be careful that we don't stop telling people the truth in all of this. I think the Bible's clear in Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 6, where it says there's one God and one Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. And so if we notice this, what we have is a continued uh, in verses 19 and verse number 20, Jesus provides all of this in verses 19 and 20. Let me just give you a few things to think about, three main points that'll help you understand. First of all, what he's talking about here is considering the responsibility of this privilege that we've been given. So we are privileged people. When I was in ACE school, I can remember uh, getting a privilege. How many have ever been in ACE school? Raise your hand. There's just a few of us in here. ACE, they had packets, you know, and you had these little star chart, you know. And, and I sat in a little bitty cubicle area. They, they put these little uh, dividers they put in them. The carpenters were really nice how they made this look. And they had seats, you know, of course, but you could kind of look around, you know, and you could look over to the next guy next to you. Um, you know, it's almost like COVID was back then. Anyway, anyway, so they had dividers and we were in this little cold cubit area and, and we had these, these, these charts that we put up and, and my, my back of my, my, my office was all deer pictures, deer hunting, you know, scopes, crosshairs, all that was on the back, you know, as, as some people would put wallpaper back there or whatever or, or nice papers and stuff. I had deer planted because I knew that deer hunting was coming. But I had this chart I'd put up, and then on that chart, you got stars whenever you did your work. And if you do your work on time, and if you get good grades, you get a privilege. And a privilege was awesome because you go outside and play football before the, the, the people come out. So there was only a few of us that had a privilege, you know. And, and, but we'd go outside, we'd be able to have recess a little longer. I don't know Brother David, I think it may have been 10 minutes or 15 minutes more than the average person. But you, you, you had this little A that you got to put on your chart because you had A, privileged. But with, 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 with privilege, there is responsibility. And, and I think that we forget that sometimes. People see they want this, all this stuff that we're giving out in our culture today. It's like free that and free that. Look, I get all this stuff. I'm so privileged. Yeah. Think about the responsibility just for a moment to be able to be privileged. Nobody should be privileged without responsibility. So if we raise our children right, they'll understand that if they are, are, are working a certain amount of hours a week and, and they have time where they're privileged, they understand that their responsibilities must be fulfilled. Can, can, I, can, I, can I play on the computer, Mom? After you make your bed... And after you clean your room, 
And after you feed the dogs, and after you mow the lawn, and after you go ahead and clean up the garage, after you clean the basement, you can have some privilege. That's the way it was in my house. Man, they had a long list of things. The mom came and checked. And when mom came to check, I would have had a neighbor check it, please. But no, it was my mom that checked it. She's watching today. Mom, you did a good job. And I still resent it a little bit. No, I'm just teasing. But it's, it's interesting that we think about this privilege that we've entered into this. Boy, just think, we're a child of the king. We sing it, you know, we think, wow, this is a wonderful thing that I have all of this privilege. But there is some responsibilities. And the first responsibility I want to talk about, listen, I got you for about 20 minutes. Some of you are already off thinking about Culver's. I don't know why. Some of you have got your little gadgets out, and so maybe you're looking at scriptures. I don't know. But listen to me. I, I want to I help you this morning. Is the first responsibility for being privileged is responsibility to your own self, if you would. Look at verse 19 and 20. The Bible says this really clear. Having therefore, brethren, boldness, or the privilege, if you would, the liberty to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated or dedicated or inaugurated really uh, for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh. And so we understand he's talking about the cross of Christ. We understand we're talking about how that uh, Jesus Christ gave himself. Uh, he was 100% man, 100% God. And if you figured it all out, then see me in my office and explain it to me, because I can't figure it all out, that he was fully human and fully God here on this earth, but he came, was born. There was a virgin birth. There was, there needed to be in order for reconciliation, in order for salvation, in, in order for resurrection. It had to be, there had to be a, a virgin birth. And so we know that Jesus came and he was born and we know that he was crucified at 33 or so right in there on the cross. We know that he was there through that particular flesh then and the giving of his flesh, if you would. We then can actually enter. He's like the veil. We can go through him then into the holiest. That's what it's saying here. And so then we have this responsibility in verses 19 and 20. So it says, let us draw near. Let us worship the Lord, is what it's saying. Let us draw near to him. So our first responsibility given here to worship the Lord, but we are to worship him in spirit and in truth. And so how do we approach him? The Bible gives it to us. Look at, your, look at the scriptures. With a true heart. What that's talking about is talking about perfect sincerity, being honest, completely completely from the heart. There's no tricking going on. There's no deception. You are who you say you are. That's why I love our sign outside. It says grace because we're saved by grace. It says Baptist because we believe they need to be immersed uh, after salvation. It says church because we assemble together on Sunday morning. We have Grace Baptist Church. I, I'm not ashamed of that. I, I think it's important for us to remember that who we are and be honest about it. Let's just not call ourselves the church. Of course we are. But let us put a little bit outside on the sign to show people who we really are. And then when they come and they want to join our church... We want to make sure that they understand what it is to be a member and, and entering into a church uh, family like this one. What does it mean? You're very privileged, but there is responsibility. And in order to draw near to God, which is your first responsibility in your relationship, is to draw near to him. And by the way, if you draw near to him, he'll draw near to you. Some of you right now, you're saying, where is God? He hasn't been with me all week. I've had a hard week. And I say, you've been so far from him is because of you. He's not short in his hand. He's not, he's not lacking. He's there. He's not slumbering. He's there. He's been there for you and he's kept you alive so that you can hear me speak this morning. Your God loves you and he, he cares for you. 
When you draw near to him, he'll draw near to you. Say, Lord, where are you? Come, help me. And by the way, if you don't hear anything, you just wait. Stay on your knees. Go before him, bow your head. But draw near to him. And he'll draw near to you, but draw near with a true heart. Look what it says, in full assurance of faith. That's assured confidence. These things I write unto you, that you may know you have eternal life. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, dear believer, a lot of times we think that we, we up here in our mind we have the verses, but do we really live them? And, and by the way, and the older I get, I realize that it's been a very, very big privilege to have this pulpit for 24 years. I, I realize that. They built this so I could hide my cup. And so now I have one of these. This was built, this was actually added years ago. They did a good job. They glued it and then they nailed it for my cup to hide behind here. But I can't hide this. In. No matter what I do, maybe I go like that, maybe. There we go. Now it's going to leak. So I'm going to do that. With full assurance, uh, it's talking about assured confidence. It also says having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. I think that's pretty important. The purity, really, of heart. Because remember that what a man thinks is so also in his heart. So you know, what, you know what's going on with our world? we got a bunch of pot-smoking uh, people out there that are leading us. Yes. Think about that. Right. Pot-smoking people leading us and making the laws. Right. Now, what happens with pot-smoking people is they get afraid. That they, the Bible says that, that uh, the, what is it, the evil flee when no man pursueth. Yes. So, so, so here, here's a bunch of paranoid people that are actually leading us. Yes. You know, and, and I feel sorry for these people sometimes because they're in such fear. And they're thinking that something's going to happen. They think they don't trust anybody. And they think, well, I just go ahead and smoke some more pot. Or I'll go ahead and drink some more alcohol. I'll go ahead and just take another pill. And everything will be fine. No. Absolutely not. We need born-again people that know who God is in place of authority so that they can lead with a clear conscience. And by good, good night, we need men. We really do. We need men that understand that God has given them the authority, spiritual authority, to do his will in, in, this, in this culture. Now listen, if you raise boys, that's one thing. If you raise girls, that's another thing. And I, and I praise the Lord, I, I didn't have to have girls and raise them. I don't know how those men do it. I, I think they should get an extra blessing in heaven for raising girls. I think there is supposed to be, I think. But raising boys was, was fun, is easy. And, and now I have grandsons that help and kind of encourage them and trying to, trying to help the, 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 them be, be true men and be strong. By, by God's grace, it'll happen. This has been very difficult for me to go through the surgery, by the way. Because I'm like looking at people doing my job. That's very hard. But that's what God wants me to do. So I have to accept it right now. It's difficult. But when God gives you the privilege, understand that there is a responsibility with this privilege. And my responsibility is to draw near to him, having our hearts sprinkled with, from an evil conscience. That's the purity of heart. Having, look, it's having our bodies washed with pure water. That's speaking of the Holy Spirit's work in pardoning and purifying. And remember that the, 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 the sword that was put into our Savior's side, when that happened, water and blood both came out of him. And the water, of course, to, to wash us of the pollution, but of blood to wash us of the penalty of sin. 
And so that double cure, the song says, happened on Calvary, and so we can enter in, really, having our bodies washed with pure water. The Holy Spirit is guiding us and helping us so that we can be true and not fake, not transparent, so we can be really honest and humble. We can live a life where we're actually using this to access God, to be able to enter into his presence. And so our duty, really, is a responsibility to ourselves, first of all. First of all, in prayer. In prayer. How's your prayer life? You say, but pastor, I'm too busy to pray. You know, you're too busy not to pray. We must use the privilege of prayer. And we can use prayer to communicate our deepest need or for our slightest expression of thankfulness. So we can go to God and say, oh, God, if there's one thing that I need right now is your power and your strength during this difficult time. My daughter is going in the wrong direction, and I need you to help me. My son has made some huge mistakes. Lord, I need you to help me. You see, you have the opportunity to do that as a Christian, and you can enter right into his throne room. Now, we know we're always in his presence according to the psalmist. But to enter into his throne room, wow. The only way through into his, home room, into his throne room is going to be through the blood of Jesus Christ. What power. And the area of prayer. But you know, you can get on your knees and you could be begging for God to do something. And he'll hear you. But he'll also hear you when you just about hit that person on the interstate. And you say, thank you, Lord, under the breath. He hears you too. When you drove to church this morning, you pulled in your place there, and you thought, good, I got a place closer to the door or whatever. And you got out, and you're so thankful that it's not nine degrees below zero and ice all over the parking lot. You got out, and you were glancing over and seeing how beautiful the trees were and glistening with the sunshine and just a little bit of a wind to blow the leaves to wave at you. I think they're waving back to God. And you say how beautiful it is. Thank you, Lord, that I live in the, in the best country in the world still. This morning I turned to CNN for, not CNN, but some good morning something on 20, Channel 27. I almost, it made me vomit. I wanted to throw up. Honestly, I don't know what that is. I don't know what they're doing. But I turned over to Fox News and they had American flags flying. They were talking about pancakes. I thought, yeah, this is my station. <laughs> American flag and pancakes. You know, it's pancake day. Did you know that today's pancake day? Yeah, they have a, they have a pancake house, by the way, down off, just on the frontage road by Broadway. Unbelievable, the pancake house. How many have ever eaten there? Raise your hand. It's closed? COVID killed it, huh? I just hate COVID. <laughs> they have pumpkin waffles over at Cottage Grove. Cottage Cafe, if you go over there, pumpkin waffles. Brother Ted, where are you? You had a stack of them yesterday. And I wanted to say whatever happens in this restaurant stays in this restaurant. That's what I wanted to say. I think you might have slid one off your plate over to... Who was sitting next to you? Parker? 
That's where everything goes on his plate when we're done. <laughs> I think it's wonderful to be with a bunch of men sitting in a restaurant and say, would you please pray? And they say, I don't mind praying. And to hear him pray. I kind of want to peek to see who's looking at us, you know. I'm not embarrassed of God. To pray and say, thank you, Lord, that we can sit down in freedom and eat this food. What a blessing. When you say that, God hears you. He hears the slightest of your thankfulness. But he also hears the deepest of your agony. He is God. And you can enter in in prayer. And it's your responsibility. But also in purity. Turn me down just a little bit if you would. Because I'm going to get loud here in a minute. In purity. We must keep ourselves spotted from the world. Our garments can get dirty here in this world by sin, of course. Moral purity is so needed today. And it's our duty to have our clothes washed and our garments cleansed. And the only way we can do that is through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We can be cleansed. Before I walk into the church, I remember coming uh, to, to hear people preach all the time. And I wasn't the pastor yet. And I, I just would pray before I got to that door, Lord, help me. Cleanse me. You know, this morning I spent 13 and a half minutes praying on the way here. Please wash me. I prayed for many of you. I prayed for you by name this morning as the Holy Spirit began to bring the names to my mind. And I, I was able to pray for my own family, beginning with myself, of course, and then my wife, and then Josh and Tiffany, and then the boys, and of course with Andrew and Abby, and then with Caleb and Dee, and then with Curtis and Elizabeth. And I pray right through it. Then I go on into Brother Alfredo and his wife. And then I go into praying for Monty and his dear wife, and all the things that are going on around here, and all the deacons, and of course, those that are not well, and those that are well, and that we all would serve the Lord. And I pray that God would hear our prayers together. It's our duty. It's our responsibility. I do it in prayer and also in purity. Lord, cleanse me. I have no right to gaze upon something that's not mine. I have no right to be able to go to places that I shouldn't go. I don't want to reach heaven and have these feet as ugly as they are. Touch the streets of gold where they've been places they shouldn't have been or Touch things I shouldn't touch. I want my hands to be as pure as they can before I enter into the throne room of God. Take off your shoes. You're about to be on holy ground. Wow. In profession, not only in prayer and purity, but also in profession, we must recognize the importance of steady, persistent, and consistent testimony for Jesus Christ, especially in the workplace. Do not hide who you are or whom you serve. And when your boss says, boy, you're doing a great job, you say, I'm doing it for him. I'm doing it for him. I say, what do you mean? Then you can tell him. It's a great opportunity for you to be able to lead in to leading him to Christ. But doing this without wavering, let us hold fast the profession of our faith faith without wavering. Trust the God who promises to be faithful. We must not waver from our obedience to the Father. We must not waver from our allegiance toward revealed truth. That's why I'm thinking that two words are coming to my mind. I'm working on a paper right now, and I'm dealing with authenticity. 
Boy, we need that, don't we? Authenticity. It's amazing how we need to be true. And the Bible is true. The Bible is truth, and it is, is revealed to us. We must not waver from our allegiance toward revealed truth. My allegiance to this book. I put my hand on it when I was in the Christian school. I forget how it goes now. I pledge allegiance to the Bible, God's holy word. I will make it a light unto my... What is it? I will make it a what? Empty unto my feet and a light unto my path. And I will hide his word in my heart that I might not sin against thee. That's what we used to do in the Christian school. And they still do it at Utica Christian School, by the way. If you're having trouble with the public schools, they got good Christian schools in the area. And that's one of them. Must not waver from our allegiance toward revealed truth. We must not waver from our submission to the Holy Spirit. I cannot believe the time. I'm going to keep going. Should I keep going? Yeah. Okay. Two of them going like, I still may scroll. The person next to me hears it. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he stand, take heed lest he fall. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. And of course, I say unto Archippus, take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfill it. In 1 Timothy 4.16, take heed unto, yourself, unto thyself and unto the doctrine, continue in them. For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Uh, Hebrews 3.12, take heed, brethren, lest there be any of you with an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse number 19, we have also a more sure word of prophecy unto you. You do well if you take heed as unto the light that shineth in a dark place unto the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Consider responsibility to ourselves but a responsibility to ourselves spiritually. And then secondly, consider our responsibility to one another. Look at it says in verse number 24. Let us consider one another. Uh, to provoke or to arouse unto love and of good works. And so recorded sonship, of course, means uh, recorded then uh, brotherhood. And so when we think about this, um, it makes us understand a little bit more of who we are in Christ. If you call him father, then we are your brother. And if you are a born-again Christian, then we are brothers and sisters in Christ. I don't care what nationality you are. If there are Afghanistanian Christians, uh, then we're brothers and sisters in Christ. If there are Christians in Saudi Arabia, then we are brothers and sisters in Christ. So our gifts, then, are to be shared to help one another. That's why you have the gift. It wasn't for you to hoard. It was for you to help. And many times it's helping to equip the church to be able to do its responsibility. So being privileged means to be born again and have the Spirit dwelling within you and having that divine nature in you for the purpose of helping others. And he says that here. I think it's interesting because the let us here, verse number 22, it starts with let us, and then 23, let us, hold fast, of course, and then let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. And so we are to provoke 
but not to the negative sense, but to the positive sense. It's like provoke is always a word that seems like you're provoking somebody in the wrong way. But here's talking about provoke, and it means to stimulate or excite or to love one another, to excite them to love and good works. And this means to have an active love and an active desire to do good works before you can provoke anyone to do the same. So in other words, I can't tell you to be here on Thursday nights unless I'm here too. I can't tell you to walk with God unless I'm walking with God. I, I can't expect you to do anything unless I'm doing it myself. I was blessed by the attitude of Brian Wilson. He's not here because he's on vacation. Maybe he's watching. I don't know. But he had to get away with his family a little bit, but he came to me. And Brian, you know, who, who used, he used to pretty much run the sheriff's department. He was the captain of the sheriff's department. He went to Hertzing University, then was the registrar there, helped out with helping with Hertzing University. And he comes to me and he says, Pastor, I do really well with leadership, but I need some help with spiritual leadership. How humble. I watched him speak to a lot of people with tears in his eyes because he has this humility that I believe comes from above. So let us diligently consider one another. Help me in the spiritual realm to be able to consider their trials with them, consider their afflictions, consider their infirmities, consider their weaknesses. We need to feel for each other. I think it's important for the local church, and that's what he's saying here. In reading the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians to a company of people, Charles Turnbull read the last verse as follows, and now abides fundamentalism premillennialism, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And some of you need to be taught it's important to believe a certain way, but we must understand that love is preeminent. I think really the verses in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, give us a beautiful picture of the love needed in Listen to the paraphrase. Someone paraphrased that passage. And this is what they came up with. Love is very patient and very kind. Love knows no jealousy. Love makes no parade. Gives itself no airs. It's never rude. It's never selfish. It's never irritated. It's never resentful. Love is never glad when others go wrong. Love is gladdened by goodness and always slow to expose, always eager to believe the best in people, and always hopeful and always patient. I think it's important for us to have a dose of love. And next Sunday, you're going to hear from a man who knows in many, many years of preaching. I want you to be here and listen to his message on love. In closing, I think we need to understand that no matter who comes through the doors here, we need to love them. I've got just a few more minutes. Please listen. Many years ago, a shabby-dressed boy drudged into church late because he had walked many miles through the snowy streets of Chicago determined to attend a Bible lesson that was conducted by D.L. Moody. And when he arrived, he was asked, why did you come so far? There's plenty of churches on your side of town. Why didn't you just go to one of those churches near your home? And he said, because you 
love a fella like no one else will. What a beautiful announcement of a church. The labor of love. You see, love is the essence of Christianity. But labor is the expression of that Christian love. I got to do this one. In closing, consider your responsibility to the local church. Don't close your Bibles yet. Because this is probably one of the most needed portions of this message today. I could close right now. But I want all of those at home to hear this. Consider our responsibility to our local church. Look what it says in verse number 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. I wrote down here that the church is the only cooperative society in the world that exists for the benefit of the non-members. <laughs> Nothing puts a man's spiritual life in more serious jeopardy than irregularity in his attendance to church. Nothing will stunt a man's spiritual growth more than per- poor church attendance. Nothing reveals a weaker sense of responsibility to others than poor attitude toward the gathering of God's people. Let me say that again. The gathering of God's people is our responsibility, and your attitude toward that is huge. It speaks. Nothing reveals a weaker sense of responsibility to others than poor attitude toward the gathering of God's people. And the need is to exhort one another, and the best place to do it is church. One of the commentators said this, and you can close your Bibles if you'd like. That in the apostles' time, there were Christian assemblies all over. And the Christians did meet together to worship and to serve God and to edify and to comfort one another. And in times of peace and liberty, they had that convenient places that were erected. And then they would meet together and separate for that end and that use. And the light of nature, as well as Scripture, dictates that God is to be worshipped solemnly, but also publicly. And the public worship pleases him most. And that he accepts it best. And so we cannot enjoy our privileges without understanding our responsibilities. And that's why this section of scripture was written. How are you doing this morning? Have you come to him? Have you drawn near to him? Are you truly saved? If you're not, come. Someone will show you how to be saved. But if you're saved and you're not right with God, then the altar is for you. And maybe you just want to come and just say, here I am, Lord. Use me. I want to serve. Many of you come to me and say, I need a key to the church. I say, praise the Lord. I want to start cleaning. Praise the Lord. I want to be here to be able to do what's needed, Pastor. I praise the Lord for that. It shows that something's going on in here. And that is the work of the Spirit of God to do what he's called you to do. You know we're going to be judged not only from our privilege, but also the responsibilities that we've been given. Every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. Maybe you're here and you say, Pastor Howell, I needed that this morning. God's working in my heart. 
I'm enjoying the privileges, but I'm lacking in the area of responsibilities. And I need your prayer. I'm saved, but I'm not taking the responsibilities seriously. Maybe this morning you'd raise your hand and say, Pastor, would you please pray for me? Is there anyone like that? I'm saved, but I'm lacking. Just raise your hand, put it back down again. I just want to pray for you. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you. Thank you. Bless your hearts. Thank you. If God's working in your heart, then you come. Maybe it's because you're not living the way you should. We're not here to judge you in any way. You just come to the Lord and come to the altar. Nobody will meet you here and ask you questions. If you just want to come and pray, it's up to you. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Would you stand where you are? If you need to come this morning, you come. Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit would work in Jesus' name. Amen.